Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast where women get really honest about surviving and thriving in what often feels like a man's world. My guests are wonder women from the fields of science, technology, engineering and maths, or STEM, where inclusivity and diversity can be a real problem. I know this only too well as a female Southeast Asian mechanical engineer. I'm kind of a minority within a minority. I'm Dr. Shinise Omara, an engineer turned broadcaster. Throughout my career, I've worked on and reported on some cutting edge technology and innovation. And through my TV work, I've met some incredibly inspiring women from a diverse range of STEM fields. Talking to these exceptional ladies has often left me feeling empowered, hopeful, and excited about life. I believe silence will enrich you too. Every week, a woman in STEM shares her unique experiences with absolutely no pressure in having to promote her accomplishments or guard her impressive reputation, because I've come to realize that everyone is just way more open and relaxed when they're anonymous. So I deliberately disguise my guests' voices so that we're just connecting as human beings rather than human doings. It's my hope that you really relate to what we chat about today. If so, please do subscribe to Silence and maybe even rate and review the show. I'd love to have your feedback. This week, my guest is in the field of nanotechnology. Hi. Hey. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And you? Yeah, good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I know that you are juggling so many different things at the moment and you're probably quite tired with everything that's going on at the moment so I really appreciate you coming on the show. Yes I am quite tired especially today but I'm really happy to be on the show. Um, what's going on with you at the moment? Oh plenty of stuff so there is my day job and then there is uh, my my baby he's just uh, past two years old, really active, oh, and wow. he just got a little. He was a little sick yesterday, so you know. And Aww. and on top of that, um, I'm running a nonprofit pro bono, and that takes right. up like some of my time as well. Mm. So I I always joke to say that I have three full time jobs. Yeah, yes, it sounds intense. I don't know how you do it. So is one of the jobs then in nanotechnology? Are you still in that field? Oh, yeah, definitely. And how did you get into nanotech? Because it's quite a new science, isn't it? Relatively. Yeah, it is. How did I get into nanotech? That's a good question. Um, I think I've really liked like uh, sciences when I was in school. Mm-hmm. But to be more precise, I, I liked chemistry. Um, I hated physics, but then I grew to love it after, after you know, um, I changed my mindset about about certain things about physics, and so I've always loved chemistry, and I did well in chemistry, and and later on in physics, um, and so when when I went to university, um, I could choose pretty much whatever I wanted to do, so I'm really lucky that my parents were not like uh, insisting that I do a particular thing or the other. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to do chemistry. That was like a natural choice for me. And that was that was pretty tough because I came from like um, a background where, you know, uh, people keep telling me that engineering is the way to go. And people don't understand why I don't want to do engineering when I could get into it, but I choose to, you know, do chemistry instead. But, you know, I just kind of decided to follow my passion 
instead of uh, following uh, what the society thinks that I should be doing. And I think that went well for me. Why was society telling you to do engineering? Well, you know, it's like engineering is one of those subjects that are that that is like highly regarded, along with like being a lawyer, being a doctor, yeah. and you know, if you're in sciences, then the the so called the best thing to do would be to be an engineer. It just has a very, I think, um, traditionally, it's it's just one of those you know high, highly regarded uh, professions. Yeah, I think it is in Germany, um, for sure. But there are other parts of the world that don't really think engineering is that esteemable. Well, I don't know. I mean, from where I come from in Singapore, um, engineering is definitely esteemable. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely some countries that really think engineering is awesome. And I happen to agree with them because I think engineering really gives you a broad range of skills. So who influenced you growing up then? Um, are you, is, do you have members of your family that are in engineering? Oh, not at all. I mean, I have, I just, you know, I, I, I looking back, I just feel like I'm so lucky because, you know, when I look around me and I see people who have like role models because their parents or their, you know, someone very close to them are like in the science field but not me. I mean, my my dad was a businessman and my mom is a housewife. So, you know, I I think I just got lucky in the sense that they were they they pretty much let me cho- choose what I wanted to do, and I happened to choose something that I really liked. So that means that from a very young age, my my um my my, my life was guided by passion, like what I love to do. And of course, then when I did chemistry in university, and of course, because I'm so passionate about it, so I did really well in it. And then, you know, I started getting scholarships to do like a higher degree, which I which I took it up. <clears throat> in fact, I did so well that I had two scholarships to to pursue my PhD. And, and I took it and I did really well in it. And that's where I am today. Wow. I, I, I'm i so amazed that you almost went into STEM unguided. I mean, were you motivated by your achievement in the subjects? Like, were you good at these subjects and that's why you kept going with them? Well, I think that definitely helped. Um, yeah. But the thing was that at one point in time, I remember when I was like, um, I was uh, probably 15 so that's when you start to choose which subjects you want to do for your O-levels. And I realized that I really enjoyed doing the arts as well. Um, I probably wasn't that good in it, but I really liked doing it. And somehow, you know, I didn't go, I didn't get into the art stream because the, the teachers probably thought that I wasn't good enough. <laughs> and, then, and then when I was doing my A-levels, I really liked economics. And, and, you know, I did well in it, but in the end, you know, I just, um, I just didn't pursue anything down that line. So, yeah. What kind of kid were you? Were you like the type that was <laughs> mixing up strange mixtures at home and under, trying to understand the chemistry or making slime and things like that? 
Um, what kind of kid were was I? So you know, I have two elder brothers, and you know, when we were young, typically when we go to the store, like we'll each be allowed to choose a toy, and you know. I didn't have a Barbie when I was young because when I go to the store with my brothers, uh, they always end up being successful to influence me to choose the Transformer toy over like the Barbie toy. So I grew、yeah. up with like boys toys, and then and then、um, I remember that you know I I was quite a clumsy kid. So when I play with stuff like not only toys but just things in general, I just end up breaking them. And that would make my parents really mad at me, and so I started, you know,、um, trying to repair it, <laughs> like trying to take it apart to、Brilliant. to 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 see how it works, so that I could try to repair it, so that my parents won't be mad at me. So I think that's where it came. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome!、Um, so then, how did you make the kind of jump into the tiny, tiny world of nanotechnology? Um, I think I think that it was like uh in part by chance, by good chance, because uh so when I was when I was going to do my graduate studies, um nanotechnology was like an up and coming field, um and when you when you do sciences at a higher level, so actually、mm-hmm. you know you don't like. I I felt like when I submitted my PhD thesis, it could have very well been a thesis for chemistry school or the physics school or the material science school because when you do science at a very high level, you know it's like because the fundamentals of science they all converge, and like subjects that we give、mm. we give them a name they are artificial just to you know have some sort of. Categorization so that you know the school syllabus becomes more more、um, structured. But I think when you do science at a high at a high level, you know,、uh, chemistry is uh, like uh, phenomena in chemistry can be explained by physics in a different way with different words and and so、yeah. on. Material science. And so, in the end, you know, I got into you know, I I I was really really fascinated by small things. Like really small things, and at that time, nanotechnology、mm. was in, and、yeah. in a way, it's like it's re it's really exotic, but it's really、um, difficult as well because basically that means that I'm I have to study things that I can't even see with my naked eye, and also a lot of the rules that you've learned、exactly. don't apply. I mean, you know, Newtonian kind of concepts. Everything that we know in our normal world doesn't apply exactly, on a nanoscale, and that、scale. is what I really love about it. And in fact, that is what my thesis was about. So, and and I, I got you know, it's like typically people would consider nanotechnology a physics or a material science field, but that is where my background in chemistry came in useful because then my thesis basically、mm-hmm. I. I studied a bunch of、um, traditional materials, like materials that mankind knew and have used for a very, very long time. And then, so I, tr- I, with my with my background in chemistry, which allowed me to synthesize them. So I synthesized them in like nano material form, like in nano structure form. And then I study the physical characteristics and compare them and compare them to the you know、uh, widely documented、uh, known physical characteristics of this、uh, materials in bulk, 
and I try to point out the differences yeah. and and to 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 understand the scientific um the scientific reason behind why there is a difference why being in a nanostructure form makes a difference in the finer material and that is really really interesting yeah i can understand why you were so fascinated by it because uh, when you were talking about studying chemistry and physics at school, it sounds like you really had an interest in all of them um, and you were good at all of them eventually. Um, I know you struggled with physics uh, maybe more in the beginning, um, but it just seems like such a perfectly suited discipline for you because it's brand new. You're like on the cutting edge. You're pioneering knowledge um, in this field. And uh, yeah, I can really see why you were following your heart there yeah I mean now looking back and joining the dots yes I do see it but you know when I was in it you know I was like I was a kid I was like 19 years old and and I was mm. just following my passion and it, it turned out to be a good choice yeah how has it been being a woman in nanotechnology well um I think it's uh, it's interesting because um when I was in graduate school that was in Singapore, actually I did not, you know, I did not really, um, you know, I, I know about all these discussions about diversity, about not having enough women in STEM and stuff like that. But it, it, just, it just seems like, you know, other people's problem because where I was studying, we were like, there were so many females and I didn't feel that I was being treated differently compared to my male colleagues. Um, and, and, you know, it just, it just, it just didn't concern me. I mean, it didn't concern me at a personal level. And it's funny because it was only when I moved to France that I started being aware of all this uh these problems that all these things that are happening around us and that was also when that I started experiencing some sort of discrimination because um I'm a female or maybe in some instances it's like uh being like the the minority in mm. working in a company and it does feel quite uncomfortable sometimes and that yeah. is when I really started having um a real awareness of the problem because you know sometimes you know when you know that there's a problem but when you're not experiencing it yourself it's very difficult to put to project yourself into the shoe of others and it mm. was really when i started moving to uh, to france that i that i realized that i am in that shoe and i wanted to do something about it and that's why i volunteered for for a nonprofit to uh, help to bring more women to the to the STEM subject and for women who are already working in the STEM field to help them you know stay on it by providing a support group backtracking then um you're saying that in Singapore there was actually gender parity in your field well that's not what I, that's not exactly what i was saying um just that in my immediate environment I there was uh, there was even more women I think. Oh wow. Okay. And I was not made to feel mm. that there was a discrimination. I mean even up to today I don't know whether it's because there is gender parity or there is just simply less awareness. I don't yeah. know. Maybe people just talk less about it. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I mean what are the differences between Singapore and France? 
uh, is it that um, there's more openness to women studying STEM in Singapore and it's just not even seen as an issue? Because I think in Europe, uh, there's still a lot of unconscious bias between the genders and STEM. Yes. So do you think Singapore has a different approach to girls in STEM? I'm not sure if I can answer that question. You know, it's something that I've been thinking about, but I don't think I don't think I have a good answer for myself yet. <laughs> mm. Well, you grew up in Singapore, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So, I mean, because I can tell you, having grown up in Europe, um, I was very aware of how girls were expected to kind of behave and treated a certain way and that conditioning is what led to the stereotypes and the unconscious bias but since you grew up in a different country um maybe you were not raised that way with that kind of mentality yeah i think i think so i think i actually think that that's why i said i'm really lucky because i actually think that my experience might be just me um and i know i know that definitely in singapore there is still like certain um traditional mindset which says that the women should you know um stay at home have kids and stay at home should uh, not uh have too much education like some but not too much you know that kind of thing mm right so your situation was very kind of um the the nurturing, encouraging, supportive environment for STEM studies was probably more local to you. It was more to do with your family rather than the country you were raised in. Well, I I think I think that is there is the educational system as well because mm. I did yeah. meet some really supporting teachers on the way, and if they were not there, I would probably have dropped out. A long time ago, I would probably not even have had my A levels because you know, mm. I I was particularly rebellious when I was uh, in junior college. So I think it's a mix of everything. I think there is like a family family support and uh, having good teachers, encouraging teachers, and um, yeah, yeah. It's so important to have those, I think, because I think sometimes there's this assumption that really you can only go into STEM if you come from generations of STEM uh, role models. And I really don't think that's the case. I think you can pioneer, you can trailblaze your way into STEM, um, having absolutely no association with it whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just like, I would just like to backtrack a little on your previous question, whether it is like, uh, whether the reason why I feel so supported in STEM, is it, is it due to my local condition or is it uh, linked to Singapore as a country? Mm. Um, so I remember having this discussion with another friend also from Singapore, who is also like living in France right now. And so she told me that she felt the same way as I did, even though she came from a completely different environment. So I think maybe to a certain extent, it is linked to the country, though the just the way the way the country is encouraging like uh, people to do sciences um, uh, regardless of gender mm. yeah I think that that could be it yeah because I have actually heard that 
women in Asia are so much more uh, supported. And actually, the statistics of women in uh, Asian countries is uh, a lot higher for females in STEM. And maybe it's something yeah. to do with the, the culture and the mentality in terms of gender equality. Yeah, could it could be, it could be. Uh, to be really honest, is something that, you know, I kind of, I've been thinking about it, but I just couldn't find a good explanation. Except, I mean, and also I don't have so many case studies, so. So what's your day job like? Oh, what is my day job yeah, like? like? What does a nanotechnologist <laughs> do? Oh, you know, I I know, I know that when you talk about nanotechnology, people get a bit scared like oh you know those are like tiny particles that are going to, that we're going to breathe in and that's going to maybe harm our health mm. or something but no not at all actually nanotechnology is already all around us so what what does a nanotechnologist do uh, so basically, we develop commercial, like like I'm in the industry, but of course, you know, if I were in the research field, I might be doing something slightly different. But uh, so what what we do is that we develop um, uh, transparent thin films that are so thin that they are invisible to the eye. Uh, and why are they useful? Is that basically we use vacuum technology to put them onto surfaces like eyeglasses for it or like you know windows so that you know in the case of windows so that we can make windows more mm. energy efficient that uh that requires less uh heating in the winter in interior in the indoors and less um cooling uh in the summer so that is for the case of architectural windows or even you know car car windshield and uh, windows um, another application of uh, nanotechnology that I mentioned just now was uh, is eyeglasses. So basically, eyeglasses. Um, you know, today people wear eyeglasses, and the objective is not only to correct vision, uh, but it could also be to uh, protect ourselves mm. from harmful rays like the ultraviolet or with the uh, increase in use in digital devices today and uh, to protect ourselves from the harmful blue light uh, emitted by digital devices. Uh, and also, you know, when we wear glasses, we want to look good. And, and one of the ways to look good in glasses uh, that is linked to nanotechnology is to reduce the reflection that is right. coming from the surface of the glasses. So when we take photographs, for example, uh, we don't we don't just have a bright mm. um, flash where the glasses is. You you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. the light bounces off the lenses. Exactly. So so nanotechnology today is used to develop like uh, thin film coatings that are used to control these uh, problems. Gosh, it's so incredible whenever you hear about what women in STEM are doing because you just take for granted that these miraculous things are being developed. Um, how does it work juggling a job that is so advanced um, with motherhood? Oh. <laughs> um... 
well, I must say that it's not easy, but I think we are lucky that in France that um, we have good structures to help with that. Like, for example, you know, there's daycare that... Uh, that that uh that could that would receive babies like uh, as young as three months old, and I think French men are quite evolved, uh, as fathers, <laughs> in the sense that they are more willing to participate uh in in you know um sharing the job. Well, at least mine does, and so does a lot of my friends' uh, partners. Um, but it's not easy because I think one one big difference, like something that I have always felt, is that the difference between me and my mother is that my mom, like, she had she had us when she was much younger, and so and so you know, um, the children, like, we are literally her her career. Life, yeah, her life, yeah. career, and she spent her whole life like learning how to do it, perfectioning it, uh, and she does a great job, and you know that's 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 uh, really that's really amazing, but for me, mm. you know, I did a higher degree, so basically, you know, I naturally I have kids later, and of course, you know, after I graduated uh, with my PhD. I wanted to find a job first, so my my priorities were slightly shifted, was was slightly reversed. So by the time I had a baby, I already had built a career, which is like my first baby, in a way. Yeah, yeah. And so at one point of time, I realized that oh, okay, so I have my first baby, which is kind of um, um, is precious to me. Is uh, but it's kind of you know um, if I leave it for a little while, it won't die, you know. I don't have to. I mean, I don't have to feed it, feed it like physical food. Whereas then I have this little human being that I just gave birth to, who is like so hundred percent dependent on me, and and mm-hmm. I just have to give it a lot of care, and. You know, while while it sounds really natural that you know, oh, of course, you know, you take care of the human baby, but at some point of time, just in my in my brain, it's kind of conflictual. Like you know, okay, so does that mean that I have to kind of like um, uh, put um, put my first baby that is the career like on not on pause, not exactly on pause, but. Uh, to stop it from the fast forward mode, so to let it just play out in a normal mode, while I put more time to take care of my human baby, so so that was you know that that adjustment was um was uh quite difficult at the beginning, but you know once I once I get in my head what I should do, what I want to do for my family. Mm-hmm. Becomes easier, and also the other thing is that being like a first time mom, like you know, when I went back to work from my maternity leave, it felt almost like a holiday to me. <laughs> yeah, I've had that before. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you were happy to go back to work. Well, I was happy to go back to work, um, because you know my my work seems so much easier than being a mother. Mm. And being a mother without experience, I just keep I just keep wondering whether I'm doing things right, and there's so much yeah. to learn. Yeah, which I'm happy Whereas to. Whereas with your I'm, job, you knew you know exactly how to do it well. 
exactly I'm the expert in it. So yeah. So yeah. So so it 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 I think it involves a a certain change in mindset. Mm, and I think yeah. this mindset change is something that we encounter like uh in a very general way in our lives in different scenarios, um and in different points of our lives. Um, and I think what is important is to take the time to have the awareness that this is happening, and to you know just sit down and think about um what we want to do about it. Uh, another example that I would like to give is that you know when I was fresh out of graduate school, like many fresh graduates, I was just so worried of not being able to find a job. So so what I did was that you know I just jumped at the first job that landed on me so you know i'm lucky I, i've been lucky in my life so it 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 went well for me like the, it was a good job and i stayed in it and stuff like that but then some some point in my mid-career um i realized like i took the time to think about what i wanted and i realized that you know it's not just about finding a job it's finding a job within a company that share the same value as we do at that point of our lives. So uh, more concretely, you know, it's like when I was interviewing with my, with my uh, current company, uh, I was actually pregnant, but it was just, I was like um, at the beginning stage. So, you know, um, and it was quite awkward because, you know, I, I didn't want them to see me as the pregnant woman. I wanted them to see mm. me as the professional that I was. And I wanted to be evaluated yeah. as a professional instead of as that the pregnant woman. And anyway, it was it was in the I was in the first trimester, so it was, you know, uh, too early. Did you to tell them? them? Well, I did I did not tell them at the beginning, but then I told them before yeah. they offered a contract. So I told them that, right. you know, oh, you know, I thought you should just know that, you know, I'm pregnant. And what it means for you guys is that, you know, I'll be on the job yeah. for four months and then I'll go on maternity leave for four months. I know it's a job that is really challenging and you really need someone to start like right away. But, you know, that is the situation. And and it mm. it took a certain amount of courage to say that because... I yes. it was like you know as you said nanotechnology is such a very specific subject and as you can imagine jobs that come by are quite rare especially something that really fits my profile so when I was saying that it mm. was scary because I felt like I was putting my career at risk but at the same time I told myself that if the company does not want to hire me because I was pregnant then, you yeah. know, that means that we probably don't share the same values and it's yes. probably good, a good thing for me not to work with them and too bad for them mm -hmm. because I'm such a good candidate and if they don't see it, um, then, you know, too bad for them because, you know, after, after all, maternity leave of four months is nothing compared to the lifetime, to the, to the length of a career that we could mm -hmm. potentially build together. So basically, yeah. I left this information on the table and, you know, for for a week, I was just like on my toes trying to, trying to you know, uh, yeah. see what 
yeah, it yeah, can I'm be scary standing up for yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it takes a certain amount of courage, and and then you know, and I was just so happy when they called me back and they offered me a job. So you know, I don't feel like a dishonest person by not telling them yeah. that I was pregnant. That yeah. that is an important value for me as well. And I was really, really happy and surprised, and that that I and, and I was so glad I did it because not only did they offer me a, a job, they they gave me something that was more than what I asked for initially. So I did not feel penalized being a pregnant mm. woman, and instead I felt I felt completely valorized. Uh, 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 of my like technical experiences of what I could bring to the company, and that that was amazing. That feeling was amazing. Yeah, I mean, what an amazing story of uh, being validated for being who you are, just being yes. completely and honestly who you are, and being recognized for exactly that. That's exactly. Such- that's such an inspiring experience that you've had because my gosh, I have so many questions. I don't know where to start. Like, um, I mean, was it just divine timing that this all happened the way it did? Or did you plan to kind of have a child then be looking for a job then, you know, how did it work? Well, I think, I think a lot of people, say, oh, okay, if I'm trying to have a, a baby, then maybe I should just stay in my old job. I should put everything on pause and stuff like that. But I think that, and typically, you know, before this experience, I would have thought the same thing, which is a completely logical thinking. But then at some point of time, I realized that uh, already in life, we can't control everything. And And by Murphy's Law, we know that things that, you know, Things that we don't want to come to fall together often falls together and we just have to learn to deal with it. Mm. And being confronted in such a situation actually just forces me to sit down and think about what I want and what is the scenario that uh, I want for myself. Um, And it creates an awareness in myself. So I'm actually making a conscious choice. Taking the risk but also a calculated risk and making a conscious choice towards what I want or what I don't want. And in the end, I think if it just um, is so much more fulfilling because it feels that I'm in control. And actually, this helped me build my confidence one step further uh, to bring me to, who, to where I am today. So I think it's, it was risky, but it was, it was well worth the risk. Were you following your heart in terms of um, the timing of your personal life and how that coincided with your professional life? Yeah, I mean, when things happen, they just happen. Then I think we just have to figure out how to manage it. Yeah. I mean, it takes an incredible amount of courage, as you say, to... um, have been in the situation where you're going for a job um, as a woman in her first trimester. But 
you know, to me, it also screams out incredible self-belief. It's not just courage. It's, it's really being assertive and believing in what you can bring to a company that propelled you in that interview, it sounds like to me. Yeah, probably. And, um, and I, think, I think in situations like this, it really forces us to, re- like to figure out what our va- where our value lies. Yes. And whether, whether the company, uh, whether we are on the same page or not. Yeah. Because, you know, if, if the, it's because in my head, I'm just like, oh, this is such a great job opportunity. But if the company does not want to hire me because just because I'm pregnant, then, you know, probably I won't have a long career in this company because we are just not on the same page. Mm. And if they can't handle my pregnancy, uh, then when I, when, when like the, 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 the kid is born when the baby is born and we know that you know with young kids we need to you know um, priorities are slightly different and we need to like maybe spend more time at home and less time at work then they are not going to understand that and I'm going to be penalized in my career and and so it's probably not a good fit anyway so you know and 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 for me in my case the risk was taken and it worked yeah. so I think it's a very it's worth it's worthwhile taking the risk. I find it incredible that you stood your ground because I think a lot of women are very nervous about missing out by standing up for what they believe in. And so often there's a mentality of, well, I'm gonna have to choose one or the other. But I must say that through this podcast, I have had another guest who has a very similar attitude to you, and it's just so incredibly inspiring. And the attitude is that this is who I am. Take it or leave it. You know, I'm not going to start apologizing for wanting to be all woman. And I just find that so incredibly... Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, it's, it's so... Uh, I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you go, girl. You know, it's just amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm really happy that I did what I did, and I think it helped in my personal growth as well. And I also think that it's really important to show our future employee, uh, our future employer, sorry, uh, who we really are, because I, I know there is a certain pressure to keep up a certain image in the interview. But I think if we if we try to you know um, fake it too much, then it's something that we can't keep up with. Like because if we get selected in the job, then we have to keep up with this, you know, uh, well maybe not fake image, but this this version of ourselves which is not our whole true self. Then mm-hmm. it becomes exhausting to keep yes. up this image in the long term. Yeah. So I do believe in in being authentic and I think in showing this vulnerability to the employer they see who I am and they are just human beings I mean they are not like uh, corporate warriors who who are robots right so I'm sure they are able to understand that and then and then becomes a question of management and and we can work we can always work around issues and you know i think once once it's taken in that approach 
to to shift the mindset to say that okay, she's going on maternity leave, and that is a human resource management problem and not like a pregnant yeah. woman problem. Once we shift the mindset to that, then it's not a problem yeah, anymore. Yeah. I mean, you make it sound so obvious, and you know. I'm kind of wondering why women ever found it a problem to try and balance children and a career. But I think that's a real indication of how times have changed because I think older generations Mm -hmm. absolutely did not know how to balance um, children and career. And I think men had a very different mentality where they just did not expect women to have careers. I mean, you talk about your mother's generation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even an option for her mm-hmm. to have a career. She was a stay-at-home mum. And that's the way women did things. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think what also helped with all this evolution is that uh, men has evolved as well. So men have, have learned that, you know, oh, my wife could have a career. And in today's world where typically you are, you know, probably more comfortable having two incomes than one, then men also, you know, uh, realize that they need to support women more. And men, they have daughters and they realize that if we continue in, 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 this, in this whole thing the way we did yesterday, then their daughters are going to suffer and men are also putting in their part to to build a better future for their daughters and you know when i right. when i asked my boss like oh you know when on my first or second day of work i just asked my boss it's like oh you know why did you employ me when when you knew that even even if i was pregnant you know the way i formulated the question i caught myself in that it's like it makes pregnancy sound so negative like even in my in my own head i had this unconscious bias that, you know, this negative um, notion to, uh, given to pregnancy and women, a career woman. And what was really refreshing and surprising was that my boss just replied, you know, being pregnant is just part of life. And I was, yeah. I didn't know what to say because it sounds so obvious, right? The, it sounds like, so the obvious, way. but the fact that I'm assuming your boss is male. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it sounds so obvious, but the fact that a man says that really indicates just how male attitudes are equalizing with women's. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think I, you know, I have very, a very positive um, outlook for the future. I think that. Uh, my situation is not a standalone situation and I believe that there are a lot of other forward-looking males out there um, who are willing to help women up as well. Yeah. And it's getting more and more. I'm not saying that, you know, they are all like this, but I'm saying that there's more men like this than, than there were like 10 years ago. Yeah. And I think today we have a real mixture. We have men with a very old school attitude and we also have men with a very new age attitude. Um, How did you choose your partner? Did you, could you see in him a very new age attitude or was it just total luck? (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm asking that because I'm assuming that your partner, the father of your child, is just really supportive. I mean, you know, you're able to record this podcast this morning because of him. And, you know, so how did you find him? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yes, he he is really supportive. Um I think I think when you know I think I'm just like um anyone else like a normal person. I didn't think that I had this foresight when I when we were dating. Like when we were dating, I knew that he was a good partner. Yeah. Um I knew that you know um he could be a good father. But then it didn't it probably didn't consciously cross my mind to evaluate him on whether he would be like um, um, equally contributing, supporting a partner to my career. Um, but maybe, I don't know. I mean, I didn't consciously think of that as, you know, part of the checklist, yeah. if you know what I mean. Uh, but I guess, I guess maybe subconsciously my mind just, you know, decided that he is. Because when we met, I already had a career. So I think it would be very, um, I probably wouldn't have continued a relationship with him if somewhere in my mind, uh, it rang an alarm bell that he would want me to quit my right. job once we get married mm-hmm. and have kids. So yeah, I probably, like my, my brain did the job for me subconsciously. <laughs> yeah, probably. no, because I think a lot of career women um, actually trip up when it comes to finding partners because they're so immersed in building their career that they maybe don't put so much focus on finding a supportive partner because, you know, women in STEM tend to be very capable, very self-driven, very ambitious, uh, don't really ask anyone for help. That, That kind of, they have those kinds of tendencies and so that can influence the partners we choose. We don't realize that actually we need to be with someone supportive mm-hmm. or someone that really um, gets us because we're used to fighting and trying to prove ourselves as women in STEM. And so often we think that it should be the same kind of atmosphere between us and a romantic partner. Um Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I, I definitely agree with you that to be successful and to continue to be successful in what we do is absolutely 100% important to find a, a supportive partner. Mm. Otherwise, it just won't yeah. work. Yeah, I think it's very simple. I think sometimes we can complicate things because, as you mentioned, the checklist of finding a partner for life, the checklist can be... Um, maybe not an authentic checklist. You know, we can often get distracted by maybe material things, status, um, you know, things that aren't actually important. Uh, but if we do, if exactly. we do go for the important things um, that are not based on any kind of prestige or anything like that, uh, material gain or a- anything like that, um, we end up making the right decisions, I think. Exactly, exactly. I think it's like um, very often when we when we make a checklist without really examining ourselves, 
we end up making a checklist that could be quite superficial. Um, and of course, when we find someone who fits the checklist, mm. we feel good about we feel good about ourselves at in that moment. But then, in the long run, we are going to suffer. Yeah, and I honestly say this with a lot of love. Like I'm not condemning anything, but you know, for example, there's you know a massive. Um, trend in dating apps and things like that and you know algorithms are using a checklist to find you a partner and uh sometimes mm-hmm. i think people are not really aware of what they truly want on their checklist or what's important they are going by a social conditioning which ends up kind of leading them into making mistakes about future partners and uh, it doesn't sound like that is something that applied to you. It sounds like you picked well. <laughs> um, and the reason why I draw attention to that is because as a result of picking well, you are able to handle three very intense aspects of your life. And so it is important to choose well. Exactly. And, and these important aspects of my life it are the ones that brings me satisfaction. Mm, and it's important yeah. for me for growth, for personal growth. Yeah, yeah. So how would you summarize um, what is important uh, to, be able, to be able to juggle all those things? <laughs> um, I think it's, it goes back to passion. It goes back to passion yeah. and doing something, uh, doing something not just because it looks good on the CV, but doing it because you truly believe in it. Mm, yeah. Like how you are doing silence, like, you know, waking up at, you know, being in the office at half past seven in the morning, <laughs> just so that we could talk today. Yeah. I think this is, this is passion driven. Mm. This is completely passion driven. And, and once we, once we drive our actions by passion, which is in ter- which is in turn driven by our values I think that we are set to go a very long way. But yeah. if we are if we are driving our our actions by uh, superficial uh stuff like just, you know, so that I could have one more line to add on my CV, then it's just not going to go so far and I think uh we are just going to be called out on on our on on this um on on this uh, sooner or later. Absolutely. I must say, in talking to you, I really feel like I'm talking to someone who has, who is in true alignment with herself. Like I, I feel this well, genuine I try to be. authenticity. <laughs> yeah. Have you always been this way, or did you grow to learn to be authentic? Oh, definitely. I it, I came a long way to... So I'm not... I mean, I think I'm more aware of who I am, what my values are, uh, and I'm more... Um, I'm more uh, willing to show vulnerability, which is not such an easy thing because I think society conditioned us to hide our true feelings. But then, you know... And and it's not always easy. And I think I definitely came along, came through a long learning process, uh, to be to be who I am today. 
Um, and I'm not perfect. I think there are some aspects of my life that I need to work on. The topic that we are talking about today happens to be one aspect of my life that I feel, you know, particularly comfortable and and in my shoe with. So, but I think that's, you know, life is so complicated. I mean, it's not complicated in 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 the in the complicated sense, but in the in the sense that there's so much there's so many different aspects to life. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you say uh, the topic that we're talking about today, what exactly do you see as being the topic today? Because we've covered so many different areas. Like, yeah. What is the topic? (laughs) So for me, I think a a big part of what I was trying to say today, uh, it, it revolves around how to align our true selves to what we choose in mm. life, the choices we make in life. What may it be education, may it be a career or our life partner. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's aligning ourselves with our higher purpose. And do you have um, exactly. suggestions on how people do that? Because I don't know how many of the audience are thinking, oh my God, this is getting really hippie chick. Uh, woo woo it's a bit like no but it's so important to I mean it can actually be very practical um, and and rational to kind of align yourself with what you truly believe is your purpose Mm -hmm. in life but how do we logistically go about doing that in your opinion so again, you know, I think I think it's not uh it's not a simple eight uh, mm. step one step two step three story. It involves a lot of uh you know um iteration. Like maybe we make like a first version and we say, oh okay, that doesn't quite sound right. And then what doesn't sound right? So we need to sit down and think about it, and mm. then and then adjust it. So I guess how I did it for myself. Um, I guess I think a good a good point to start is um what what do I like to do and why do I like doing that So once I figure out what I like doing and why do I like doing that then I think it could point to identify this higher purpose okay I like doing I like doing nanotechnology because um i can um because it's cool and i get to develop you know practical products that could help people yeah and so and if i do like doing that then that means that you know i need to find myself a career or a company that is aligned with that um mission mm. Yeah. So like, you know, with my with my with my training, I could very well be, you know, I don't know, making an atomic bomb, but that is probably not aligned with what I want to like like my higher mission. And so and so I look for a career elsewhere. And of course, like I mentioned just now, like we do we get a first a first version, but you know, like our environment changes and even ourselves, we change as we grow. 
So it's not like when you do this exercise once and you get the perfect answer and that would be the perfect answer for the rest of your life. No, yeah. it's like a continuous self-evaluating process to, to just tweak it a little bit each time mm. so that it corresponds, it still corresponds to, to what you want to do. And, and sometimes we might not get the right answer. Sometimes we might just completely fail, like fail in the sense that, you know, we, we point ourselves in the wrong direction, which is okay. Just, you know, start over again and we'll do better the next time. It's, it's a life learning process, really. Yeah. And it's okay to make mistakes. I think people have um, a fear of failure. Um, and, and, and making mistakes is part of the journey. It's, it's perfectly healthy. Exactly. And I think very often we make so like we make more mistakes than finding the right Mm. answer, which is, which is not completely normal. Yeah. Well, I must say that with that amazing advice, I think in speaking to you today, I think what, what's really been very apparent is to not only, align with your higher purpose but to also be brave enough to speak up and stand up for what you believe in because it's all very well knowing who you are but if you are unable to um, be assertive about it I think uh, you've only won half the battle and for that reason I am so grateful and inspired that you came on the show to really speak your truth and share your experiences with us. So thank you so much for coming in silence. Thank you, Srini, for inviting me. Really happy to be here today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. That's it from my STEM guest this week. Again, I feel utterly inspired by my guest. I, what a person of true authenticity and you know, a real inspiration in that she has always followed her heart and as a result she's really been able to grab on to all of the opportunities that life has sent her way. Um, I truly mean it. I think that knowing who you are is only half the battle but as my guest has demonstrated um, it's really about being adaptable. As Charles Darwin said, the strongest species that survives is always the one that's most adaptable and um, being able to speak up about who you are is such a crucial part of that jigsaw puzzle thank you so much for listening to silence this week don't forget to rate and review the show and catch you next week on silence